You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com and this is the Bookworm in association with Starburst Magazine. I'm Starburst Magazine's literary editor, Ed Fortune, and that was a Windows PC booting up. Are you booting up, Ed? <laughs> and I'm here with... Del, hello everybody. <laughs> Happy Sunday. It's going well, going well. It's going well, it really is. The uh, idea of having to... <laughs> Jen, <laughs> that, was, that was me, by the way. That, yeah. that, that's what I now. That's the sound that I now make. It's right. when we get the Edbot out, ready for reviewing. It just takes a while to turn on. Sometimes I'm actually powered on Windows 3.1. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just pretend I have a, a more cheerful tune. Um, I will be reviewing the Thousand Year Reich by Ian Watson. Adele. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing Something Coming Through by Paul McCauley. Uh, but coming up next, Book News! Across the world, 24 hours a day. So, boot news. Exciting boot news. Um, I, I was going to pull this up right now. So, uh, China Melville, or Melville, or however you pronounce <laughs> Yeah, so I, we, I say Mayville, you say Melville, some people Let's say Myville. <laughs> But um, yes, anyway, Costa winning award, or, uh, winning author uh, Helen McDonald, Robert McFarlane, and Chana Mielville. Um, uh, you see, he's got Numlap in his name, so I, I think you might be right. I think Mielville, there's Numlap there. No, it's definitely no. over the E. So anyway. Yeah. Um, is that is there a Numlap on his books, though? I don't know. There's Numlap on this press release, so. Yeah, this anyway. is true. Um, and performance artist. Uh, Inua Elms uh, will be headlining the three-day festival, um, which is the Balham Literary Festival in Balham. In Balham, um, in the Bedford pub. In the Bedford in, pub in Balham. Balham, if, if anyone's listening outside of London, um, Balham is kind of southish London. It's on the Northern Line. Um, any 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 um, tube that goes to Morden will go through Balham, um, if you were thinking of going. Um, I love the idea of just it being in a pub, Bedford yeah. pub in Balham. Where we're going to have a big festival. Why not? Why? Why aren't more of them in in pubs? It's the perfect marriage, yeah. really. Isn't we do it? we do well book night in a pub, and it is brilliant. Yes, and also it's free books and people falling over because it's fairly cheap booze. <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting. <laughs> It was that guy who uh, last year who hoovered up all the deets and then proceeded to do shots on like on the deets books. Oh yeah, that's really strange because because he was dead because there was like four hundred deets books. Oh my god, there were so many deets books, it was crazy. And then I looked down and they were all gone. (laughs) And then someone on the floor. But yeah, we'll be doing a world book night and probably April the twenty. I want to say April the twenty fourth, and I think that's wrong. Is that the Monday? Are we doing it? Are we doing it on Sunday? Because we can't do it on Saturday because the busy but the world book night is officially on this is officially on on saturday, saturday. 
but we can't really do that because no. it's a pub doing cool things so cool pub things so but it's sunday's quiet so we'll get more people in to do cool sunday book things but we'll announce that later once we've sorted out all the deals oh, yeah, so just forget, that forget that did, did we talk about the uh, british science fiction association awards we did we, we riveted quite a lot last week with guest host david lascelles um, and eventually we'll upload that show and eventually we'll link to his works so yes, in case you missed it, it's a little bit busy in in, in Bookworm Towers right now. It really has. Yeah. It really has. <laughs> we will be doing some exciting relaunch stuff, which we've been talking about for ages. But uh, we'll get there eventually. In case you missed it, Elliot de Boudard has won both Best Novel and Best Short British Science Fiction Award, uh, and New Con Press has won the other two. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. I tell uh, you what, I'm, I'm still stunned by how quickly that that awards thing went. It was like if you were ten minutes late, you'd missed most of it. Mm. It, it, they were not sparing the horses. It was the opposite of the Gemmell Awards. <laughs> Cause, cause, yes. Because the Gemmell Awards, I mean, the Gemmell Awards obviously is there to kind of remember um, Dick Gemmell and talk about his works and also to give out very, very dangerous prizes because one of them is an act. So, you know, if you're going to give away fantasy prizes, you might as well give them weaponry. Why is, not? Is, that's got to be the legend prize, I'm assuming. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, who doesn't want to win a sword? Come on. Oh. Graham McNeil won the axe and he did the thing because Graham McNeil's like six foot eight or something. <laughs> he picked it up and he went, heft, and almost decapitated one Because <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a small venue. Um, oh. But the Camels are happening at World Fantasy Con this year. Uh, what if you not got World the Fantasy train Con, there? Or a plane? Can you take an axe on a plane? No. 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 How do you get your axe home? I'm not. not uh, I think you might axe. be able to put it in hold luggage, depending on your airline. Okay. It's also it's on a plinth. I mean, it's not. You know, it's it, you, oh, it has a plinth to go on, I believe. So it's like you know, if they stop and say, "Why you? Why have you got a uh, an axe a dress axe <laughs> in your hold luggage?" You're like, "Well, I've just won the gimmel. Sorry, it's, it's got my name engraved on it." <laughs> But um, yes, it's ha- uh, the. I've got this- a certificate as well. <laughs> Here's some photos of me looking very pleased with myself. Do you want a copy of my book, maybe? Uh, I've signed it. Uh, yeah, um, the Game Awards, just as an aside, are happening at not World Fantasy Con, Fantasy Con by the Sea, which is the British Fantasy Con, which okay. is in Scarborough this year, and looks amazing. Uh, we'll probably be there. It's a probably at the moment. Almost certainly going to be at Edgelet this year, but. Um, oh, because yeah, the Fantasy Con by the Sea is like an odd weekend, isn't it? Yeah. We hope to be there. Yeah. Because it's covered, it's lovely. But I'm going to be discovered next week to do Sci-Fi Scarps, which is not a book festival. No. But um, uh, anyway, books, books. Um, books, books, books. Uh, I think we talked about this last week as well. Eastercon 2017 and 2018 has have been secured. Um, so Eastercon 20... Right, we, we were confused by the name last week. It is called a Nominate, but everyone's calling it Eastercon 2017. <laughs> it's going to be in Birmingham. Yeah, uh, I can see why people are doing that. Uh, at the Hilton Metropoly uh, or Metropoly. Metropole. I like saying Metropole, it sounds better. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the NEC Birmingham. Uh, if it's you sort want. Of with Monopoly. Yes. Oh, ooh. Mm. put me off it now. Yes. Uh, yeah. If you are doing that, I would recommend, by the way, that Birmingham Metropole 
Uh, Metropole sounds rubbish. It sounds like it's a Metropole. Um, the Birmingham Metropole uh, books up really quickly and is quite pricey, so if you're going book your tickets now, frankly. Um, 2018's Easter Corn will be in Harrogate. Sounds lovely. And, um, yeah, some really, really good guests on that one, including Kieran Gillen, Needy, uh, Okafor, for, we have to do that thing where we learn pronunciations, and Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, let's see, what else? Shall we talk about the Philip K. Dick Award? Yeah. Okay, so Rami's Nam, um, who we really liked, Nexus and Apex. Yeah, his books that he did on Angry Robot. I think we reviewed <laughs> them ages ago. Um, he's won uh, the Football Dick Award, which is handed out every Easter because basically Easter's just happened, so all the Easter events have happened. Um, at the Easter Noescon, which is in Washington. Uh, Noescon is a Pacific Northwest America's science fiction and fantasy convention. The Philip K. Dick, Dick Award is obviously part of the Philip K. Dick Trust and is sponsored by the Philadelphia Science Fiction Society. Mm. Goodness, that was a ma- mouthful. Yeah. Well done, Remy's Nam. Because he won it for Apex, which, as we've said, we, we liked. So, we really liked, well, yeah. well deserved. Well, he's, a, he's like a Microsoft innovator genius guy and science fiction is all about well what happens if we invent this what happens to the society hmm <laughs> what exciting new crime will people use this technology for uh, <laughs> which is you know kind of and apex and nexus are like oh people use it you can hack into human brains hooray oh exciting <laughs> new crime um terry pratchett coloring book yes oh, terry oh, pratchett oh, coloring book <laughs> poor kidney Paul Kidby, Terry Pratchett colouring book. Paul Kidby. <laughs> I can see there's going to be a fighting Paul Kidby. for this one. Um, I, I, I advise the entire team to call him Stones. Colouring. Terry Pratchett. Yeah. It sounds... Because the thing with adult colouring books is they're supposed to be really intricate and the thing with Paul Kidby's stuff is it's really intricate. So it's like, <laughs> hooray! Also, I get to I get to draw more as green. Because I always wanted to. I'm going to get to do shadowing on luggage. <laughs> oh, how does that work? If you're like doing luggage's mouth and you colour it in and then suddenly the colour vanishes and then you colour Oh, it God. In and then suddenly the colour vanishes. I'm assuming there won't be a library one, surely. That wouldn't work at all. You'd start colouring and it would turn up on a different page. (laughs) (laughs) Or like one of the books would be like, I don't want to be green. (laughs) I want to be blue. (laughs) Oh, that would be amazing if if they'd impregnated it with a specific ink so common inks changed (gasps) colour. Oh my God, that would be amazing. It would would be the opposite of a mindfulness book, though. (laughs) You'd be like, I've I've done this lovely, lovely... Oh my God, the colours have changed. I've gone insane. (laughs) And you get to like decide how how mangy Grebo is. Oh, I'm really sorry if now Grebo is not one of the <laughs> one of the yeah, colorings. Yeah, now we're assuming that all our favourites are going to be in there. Yeah, I know. Oh, surely there's there's going to be gotta a be luggage. Witches. Come on, and luggage. There's going to be a luggage. There's got to be. There's got to be. I want, I want to colour in all of Luggage's legs. Who do we? If someone could email us with who we send complaints to, if neither <laughs> none of these things are in our books once we purchase them, that would be wonderful. Just send us a view <laughs> copies. Just send us a view copies. View copies. View copies. That would be transworld. Do you get books. review copies of colouring books? Yes. Yes, we do. What we've had Sherlock. Uh, and the Star Wars. Dear bookworm tellers, have you been <laughs> hiding this from me? Yeah. What? What? We, we feed them to producer Al. This is the, the, the problem. They appear and they vanish again. Um, tends to be the problem. Um, uh, well, producer Al better be staying in the lines. 
<laughs> Otherwise. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, moving on. Um, let's see. Harbour Voyager has acquired J. Christoph's latest series, uh, The Neverlight Chronicles. Christoph is best known for the Lotus War series. He's another, he was nominated for Gemmel. Yeah, he didn't accidentally cut anyone's head off, so that's fine. Um, the film writes to Christoph's book Illuminae, uh, who was recently acquired by Plan B Entertainment. That's Brad Pitt's company. Is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah, so Harper Voyager have gone, ah, Jay Christoph. Books. Books. And so, the Decision Awards uh, is the Japanese Science Fiction Convention, which also happens over Easter. Uh, mm-hmm. You might remember this last year, we were like, oh my goodness, the award. Um, <laughs> and so, Justice has been added as best translated novel. Um, but one of the things that I like about this is um, the the um oh dear words the nominees not only include the book and the author but the fact that the translator is included i think is really good i don't think enough people kind of think about that and so the fact that they get as much recognition because it's a japanese award um and so they've read japanese versions which have been translated by someone and that the translator has made the decision about words that are used and the way sentences are put together mm. so I think it's really really wonderful that every single one of these the translator is recognised yeah because I, I think very often they're not yeah but there's some there's some really interesting um, re- some g- books that we've talked about some um, authors that we enjoy like Paolo oh, I can never say the last name Becky Galupi uh, who did uh, The Wind Up Girl but has been nominated for The Water Knife which I want to s- did Ninfa yes Ninfa's uh, reviewed that hasn't she no she's reviewed oh, she's Memory re- of Water Memor- uh, oh yeah okay, we, that, we I've, just, about, I've just gone water <laughs> oh, we've, talked about, we've talked about The Water Knife several times mm. Although, we should really review that yeah we haven't? should review it um, Akak Macaque yeah I knew you were going to know his Akak Macaque well done Gareth Gar- Gar- <laughs> by the way um, didn't win he was nominated for a BFSA as well and we were sitting right next to him Mm, excellent because um, we were in a little huddle during during the BFSs um, I was sitting right next to him and mm. it was just like hi oh, you know it's the same with um, Dave Hutchinson one of those people who, who never wins no. they should do see the, the Leo DiCaprio yeah the Leo DiCaprio of the, the yeah. book world um, so yeah they were the nominees for best translated novel but even like, and then you've got best translated short story as well and uh, Australian Aurelius Awards uh, again um, G. Christoph's Illuminae was up there for best science fiction novel um, best graphic novel is The Singing Bones by Sean Tan that's interesting the, the thing I find fascinating about these Aurelius is it's a whole bunch of stuff that I haven't really had a chance to grab or, or hear from because obviously we focus on UK stuff and Australia is the other side of the world and we just don't some, sometimes we just don't get the same books mm. best horror novel and best fantasy novel went to the same novel which is interesting they've both gone to Dayboy by Trent Jameson which I know nothing about but no. I'm kind of intrigued which is the point of an award ceremony I suppose yeah. it makes you just go hmm it's not often that something like that kind of happens in, in books is it it's not like films like quite often best director is like and best film and best actor they, they can be the same um, it's not just not very unusual in books so maybe again that's something we need to look up and the Australian the National review. Convention hands out the the Aurelius Awards mm. and then yeah Illumini yeah. got best science fiction so <laughs> lots of news about Jay Christoph at the moment then <laughs> 
But yes, you see, I was going to try and be very clever and, and, and mention that the Newcon won the BFS is or awards uh, again, so I could link to my book review, which is coming up next. Oh, I ruined it. They are, I think, at this point, we can safely say that there are several still living, rare treasures of the science fiction world, science fiction and fantasy world. Um, it's been a rough year, I think. For yeah, we've, we've built fences around all of them. Um, security guards around, security guards and death wards around Ursula Le Guin at the moment, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking about treasures that I think a lot of people don't realise how much of a treasure he is, Ian Watson, science fiction author Ian Watson, um, whom who, who you may have seen at a science fiction literary convention being the crazy guy with the, the large fedora hat and the staff with the skull on top of it. Um, <laughs> Good fashion choices. Good fashion choices. Mm. Uh, he lives in Spain most of the time. Um, so Ian, see what- the hat is needed. Ian Watson is probably known to a lot of fans for being the person who wrote the first Warhammer 40k tie-in novel called Space Marine. Um, what's notable about Space Marine, of course, is the fact that it's got nothing to do with the 40k universe in the slightest, um, and has been the 40k universe has been completely rewritten since he wrote it. <laughs> so, so it was out of print for a very long time. Oh. Um, because Games Workshop was just like, this has got nothing to do with our product, we'll, we'll not release it. And then and then the books were going for so much money on eBay that they, they started re-releasing them on a print-on-demand mm. style, style service. Um, but yes, he also wrote the screenplay for AI Artificial Intelligence uh, along with... Um, Brian Aldous, because Brian Aldous wrote the original short story and Watson oh. converted it into it. So... I, n- neither of those credits, however, describe exactly how weird Ian Watson is. <laughs> Ian Watson is weird. I love it. So, The Thousand Year Reich is the title of his latest anthology of short stories. And that title makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I would point out that the cover itself, which is absolutely gorgeous and drawn by Juan Miguel Aguela, um, who, by the way, is a Spanish science fiction author in his own right. If you can read Spanish, you should you should check out Aguela's work. Um, but it's a really, really pretty kind of sci-fi cover. <coughs> Do you read Spanish? A little bit. Um, not as well as Nymphie. In Pequeno. Um, very <laughs> nicely done. Um, not as not as well as as Nympha, but I, I do. Um, so yes, great science fiction cover. Kind of a, a let's call it a space marine on the moon, uh, fighting fighting Nazi spaceships and all the rest of it. Thousand year right, you say. So this is going to be about Nazis on the moon, is it? No. You forget, it's Ian Watson, he's completely no. crazy. Um, so, the story, we, we open up with the story of Thousand Year Reich. It's a short, short story anthology, uh, and he explains, that it's explained to us what's happened with this world. So this is a world where the Nazis 
got a chunk of the world, went to the moon. But then the Americans have also gone to the moon. So rather than it being, uh, basically, rather than it being a cold war between Russia and America, it's a cold war between the, the Third Reich and America. You think that'd be a great backup track for a short story? Yeah, it's not by that either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the backdrop. That's just the world. That's just the world. That's just okay, the amazing. You've got a bunch of teenagers who are literally lunatics. Literally lunatics. They, they live on the, the moon and they're a bit crazy. They're lunatics. Um, I love it. They're, they're clearly in, in, in uh, USAF kind of, you know, uh, allied space. And they're, they're, they're trying to rewrite history and they play this thing where they play video games to kind of... Um, there's a whole thing where people play video games uh, between the nations, like like as a, as a kind of friendly Cold War thing. So like, comp- like video game high school? Yeah, they, they play video okay. games between each other to try and, you know, like, they play war games. Rather than war, they play video war games and this sort of thing. Um, as a kind of a way of relieving kind of tension. Um, it's not about that either. <laughs> what? Is it about anything, actually? <laughs> is there a story? What the story is about? It's random words. What the story is about? And this is, is actually what the story is about. Yeah, the, these lunatics do some research and they realise that Wilhelm Reich the Jewish psychotherapist and inventor of the Orgon accumulator was onto something and they build it they build a version of the Orgon accumulator and then they they, they point it at things <laughs> to see what happens when they activate this 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 magical science device that's powered by sex energy and they, they point it at the earth to see what happens powered oh, by sex energy. Yep. Sex energy. That's what Orgon was. So this real guy, Willem Wright, was a real person. Yeah. Um, he created Orgon energy. He I've, ne- that I've never heard of that before. He believed like, what? that. He believed that essentially the, the there was this vital force that held the universe together, and what <laughs> held the universe together was literally love. Oh, so like sex is string theory. Yeah. That's, that's, or loop theory, that, people are going That's for roughly what Orgone was all about. <laughs> and the Kate Bush song, Cloud Busting, right. is about one of Reich's cloud-busting devices that oh. he invented. Uh, Einstein thought it was complete nonsense. Um, I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no way, you So, yeah, and that's just the first short story in this. So, that, and that gives you a rough idea of where we're going <laughs> with this collection. Um... Uh, one of the things we can quite cheerfully do is I'll read out some of the so one of the stories is Beloved Pig Brother the Daughter of the Pregnant Baby a transgenic story of genius um oh this one's really icky but it also goes about (laughs) good I'd be really upset if it was a nice story what amazing it's 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 transgenic children transgenic people uh mixed in with reality tv and and world politics and how that goes oh god um the the arctic triumph chord the arctic triumph (laughs) chord which is which is watson having a pop at uh, Dan Brown and kind of aping Dan Brown's style but because he's Ian Watson he's like I can't do it that way I'll do it properly uh, <laughs> halfway through and halfway through <laughs> oh, no, as part of the story you can I'm just see him, you can just see him going no I can't write badly <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a treasure trove of 
amazing writing because it's Ian Watson and crazy ideas. One of the things I found is I, I would read one or two short stories and then I would put the thing down because my brain was on fire. Mm. And I'd just be like, hang on, so he's gone from this idea to that idea to this idea to that idea and then he's hammered it together like 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 a blacksmith welding steel. He's hammered these layers of stories to create this multi-layered ripple pattern short story. And then he's moved on to the next one. And the thing is, the sto- each story is still as strong. Just because he's littered them with his imagination. There's a very strong voice of Europe, by the way. Uh, he's a very poor European. There's an awful lot of wordplay through there because that's how his mind works. Mm. You know, you can see... You you can see that Ian Watson would be the person who'd go Third Reich, Wilhelm Reich, there's a story there uh, and so on you know, it's it's charming as it is weird it's not comfortable reading in lots of places. He doesn't want you to be comfortable. The cover doesn't mm. want you to be comfortable. I, uh, you know, you don't you don't mind uncomfortable reading when it it is intended to make you uncomfortable. It's the ones that are supposed to be readable that are making you uncomfortable that that's that's where you've got problems but it's the same with like any medium isn't it like television films when you're being made uncomfortable but the person who's created it doesn't realize that's what they're doing then that's where the problem lies um, yeah ex- exactly i mean he's he's deliberately he's deliberately challenging he doesn't care if you feel challenged he wants you to be challenged um there's notes at the end of these as well um he's written a little note at the end of each where he talks about where his inspiration comes from which is a common feature of new press books yeah that's quite nice um and you get a little, you get a little photo as well a little picture of you and Watson. <laughs> little, little, his hat and his crazy smiling face at the end of each story at the end of each story Aww. he's ended by a little picture of you and watson uh, and an explanation of like i wrote this one for a bdsm anthology like, okay um <laughs> Yes, it's. I mean, one. You shouldn't judge a book by by its cover, but we always do. But we always do. I had this thing where it it is an amazing cover, but on the other hand, it's Mm. got the words "Reich" in huge letters, and I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, I'm not." Can't read it on the train. Not entirely comfortable reading this on the train because I don't want to have a random. I've had that Mm. before where I've read. um, It was I was reading the Man in the High Castle. Right. On the train, and Uh. some neo Nazis started talking to me, and I was just like, "Oh God!" Yeah, dude, you should read this book. <laughs> yeah, what is this. what is wrong with you? Though? Yeah, exactly. But um, so I'm always a little bit. Clean. How likely is it that if you were a Nazi, you're going to find someone who's openly reading that rhetoric on public transport? Like, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's nothing that's that, weird. there's nothing that really, yeah, by by my coincidence, magnet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's no, um, the, there's nothing that would imply. That it's not that bad as a cover. It's a great cover. It's a lovely yeah. looking cover, but the, you know it's not quite. I just had that slight because I've had that experience before. I was just like, uh, yeah, shirk um, away. But yeah, no. It's f- so, so and as we've spoken about before, Goodreads have proven that you you can sometimes judge a book by its cover mm-hmm. yeah, and quite fair. quite effectively. Well, Newcon are a small press as well. It's worth mm. pointing out that Newcon, despite the fact that Ian Watson is a big name, yeah, they're a small press. But they're more. Bes- they, they might say bespoke press, but they are. Small press. Uh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> but um, is it worth your time? Yes, especially if you've if you've not had the pleasure of being introduced to Ian Watson, then it's you know it's worth some pennies to dive in, um, because he is a treasure. It is crazy. 
it is challenging, it is hard work, but it's Ian Watson and it's worth your time. sci-fi weekend about two weeks ago and uh, we got to chat to Emma Newman who's absolutely lovely and very charming This is Fab Radio International Welcome to the program Thank you So uh, to kick off tell us about your, your most recent project Oh, the most recent project I've been writing or the most recent one that's been published? Published, please. Okay, so uh, my most recently published novel was Planet 4, which came out in November, but I've also just had a novelette published in Monstrous Little Voices, which is the anthology that's just been brought out by Abaddon Books. And that's basically... um, it was the brainchild of uh, Dave Moore, the editor, and he is a huge, huge fan of Shakespeare, and he basically said, hey, we could make a fantasy world out of all of these fantastical elements in Shakespeare's plays. And so he cherry-picked all of the different elements from across a broad variety of his plays and said, OK, guys, this is the world, and these are the things that are in it, this is how it all works, and go have fun, go go pick whichever characters or thread or anything that just even feels Shakespearean, let me know what you're thinking of and we'll weave it together. And it was a really interesting process and a lot of fun to write. How do you approach a project like that? Because everyone knows the Shakespearean characters and you kind of re you kind of reboot them and, and shift them along. How how do you approach that and do you what bits of yourself do you put into that sort of a idea? It was a really it was very daunting to begin with um, because it, you know it's Shakespeare <laughs> you know you're not going to go and um, just kind of crash into something and just go hey let's I, I felt like I needed to tread carefully in the early stages and what was interesting is that he wanted all five stories to be interconnected so there was an element of us kind of tentatively putting forward suggestions of what we might want to write about and then seeing where they could fit in together and so there was a, a lot of kind of negotiation and collaboration before I even began to write my story um, so there's an element um, of a knife which appears across multiple stories um, and so once I saw the things that other people were um, doing um, and I, I said right at the beginning I would love to do something with Prospero um, because I've always loved The Tempest and um, I would like to do something with him and uh, I felt that there was the freedom to do it because we were talking about a time that was a long time after the Tempest. You know, it was, it was a good few years, um, and I felt like I wasn't going to muscle in too much. You know, that it was a man at the end of his life, and um, so yeah, that's that was the kind of the process that led me up to to choosing him. Then all of the other characters um, were 
my own and then it was a matter of thinking about kind of archetypical stories because that's one of the things that has made Shakespeare so long-lasting culturally you know the the archetypical characters and stories that we can retell again and again and again and that we do in fantasy already Um, so I wanted to kind of look at not so much tropes but ideas of things that we see happening again and again and something that I've always loved as a um, a common storyline is the idea that um, when you know that something is going to happen um, trying to stop it from happening or and usually invariably bringing it about anyway and I wanted to play with that and and bring in the element of witches and, and stuff like that so yeah there are about a dozen questions I want to ask about Planet 4 unfortunately <laughs> all of them contain spawners uh oh <laughs> so uh, rather than that uh, what I'd like to ask is there's a level of personal bleakness to Planet 4 mm. where does that come from and why did you explore that particular aspect of human nature uh, I think I have some personal beliefs that other people would consider bleak that I do not and so I wonder if there's an element of that I remember having a conversation with my late best friend some years ago and she was quite spiritual in a very individual way and um, she was talking about her beliefs and I said I don't think there's anything and she gave me this look that was like so sad and she said that's so bleak and I was like no it's not because it makes this life so beautiful and so precious and I don't know if that's an element of bleakness that came out in Planetfall or not because the characters in Planetfall have faith and um, I don't know I think maybe be more specific about what you thought was bleak um it's very mesmerising all the way through, and the the main character's personal journey is mesmerising. Um, but it feels very sombre, and it almost feels like there is a level of mourning all the way through. And as the story progresses, we kind of understand the level of mourning. Mm. Was that deliberate, or is that is that part of the theme that you envisioned going into? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of people who have assumed that the death of my best friend produced Planetfall but in fact Planetfall was finished long before she died and it was quite shocking actually looking back thinking I've just written a book about the mourning of somebody's closest friend and oh (laughs) that has just happened to me um I don't know why it emerged as a theme. It wasn't something that I necessarily consciously went into to explore. Um, The focus for me was on her psychological disorder. And the underpinning of that particular psychological disorder is often loss. And I did a huge amount of research Mm. beforehand. And so there are actually multiple instances of loss in Ren's life, which are discussed in turn because I wanted to uh, sketch the scaffolding of her mental disorder. Um, And so for me, it was very important to uh, look at all of those different instances not to kind of um, explain why she is the way she is, but to make it as realistic a portrayal of her illness as I could hope to achieve. Um, 
it wasn't like I sat down and decided I wanted to write a book that explored loss and grief. It emerged like consciousness is an emergent property of the brain. You know, it's it was something that uh, was kind of an, of an ev- inevitability when I look back on it, because obviously with loss being the thing that underpins the disorder, um, and also in plot terms, that particular loss is critical within the structure of the novel. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it is bleak and it is sombre and it is heavy and it's it's something which I feel in a way doesn't match up with what my life was doing at the time. You know, I started writing that when the third Split Worlds novel um, was in the process of being brought out and it was like the most amazing year. I had three books brought out in one year and everything was fantastic and I, I just felt that I had to write this book. Um, that was just the way it came out. Talking about Split Worlds... What's this about a LARP? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm running uh, along with a really fantastic woman um, a Split Worlds live action role playing game in Bath on May 7th, and it's going to be a masked ball, which is going to be uh, in the Nether. Um, it's being held at the Guild Hall in Bath, which has the most phenomenal um, Georgian ballroom which just looks perfect for the split worlds and um, players will be members of the Fae Touched Great Families and uh, there will be politics and intrigue and dancing and canapes and Fae shenanigans and uh, masks, it'll be fabulous So, so when you're not organising an elaborate mass ball for <laughs> fans what is your next project? What's the next thing you've got? Well, my very next thing um, that's coming out is uh, the fourth Split Worlds book that comes out in August. Um, And literally when I go home, I will be doing my edits on that. Um, And that's called A Little Knowledge, um, which I'm very, very excited about. I've uh, waited two years for this book. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a joy to write and just so much fun. Um, So that comes out in August and uh, I've just wrapped the edits on After Atlas, which is my second science fiction novel with rock and it's another standalone um, but it is set within the same universe as Planetfall and it focuses on a man who lives on Earth and it's set 40 years after the Pathfinder left Earth and examines the consequences of their leaving and uh, the main character's mother is Carmen from Planetfall and uh, she left him behind on Earth as a six-month-old baby with his father Um, and uh, it basically explores the consequences of abandonment um, in part uh, and also what happened in this man's life Uh, his father was also left behind his father tried out to go on Atlas um, and didn't make the final pick and uh, suffered a nervous breakdown when his wife left with them and he wasn't good enough um, and then got sucked into a cult and um, the main character is now 40 he escaped the cult when he was 15 um, and he's now a detective and um, the cult leader has just been murdered and he's assigned to investigate his murder so it's sci-fi crime should we expect more from this particular world do you do you envision a series yeah well not a series per se um after writing the split world series where people have to start at book one and go through sequentially i felt very strongly that the next kind of um significant project that i worked on was something that people could pick up any book um at any time and that they're interconnected but they don't depend 
on each other. Um, I do have um, a book that I'm brewing, which is in the same universe, but again, um, completely different characters, different setting, um, and I want that to be on the Mars colony. Um, and I have an idea for a couple of other books, but whether they will see the light of day, I don't know. Uh, getting into some fairly standard questions that I tend to ask most people. Um, firstly, do you think that this, the, the genre literary community is as diverse as it thinks it is? Hmm, that is a really interesting question. No. Um, I think that there is a constant struggle uh, in any system where it is dominated by a particular group of people and society at large is dominated by white men and publishing as an industry is a product of that society in terms of the the publishing industry that I am part of in the western world there are a huge amount of women who work in publishing um and I don't know what the figures are in terms of editors and publishing assistants and everything like that, but there do seem to be a lot of women that work in the industry. In terms of the number of people of colour who are published, um, the ratio of female to male writers, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. But I don't think it's just the writers. I also think that there has to be greater diversity within the publishing industry itself. Because if you only have a particular type of person who is buying the books then it's more likely that they will buy the books that excite them and it may well be that the books that excite them are not the books that are written by a wider and more diverse range of people um, I've seen some writers of colour talking about how editors have rejected their work saying I just I, I'm not I don't feel anything here or I'm not accessing this and, and they're writing from experiences that may be different they come from um, you know just living a different life to these people and so I think there has to be greater diversity across all aspects of publishing not just within the people who are published because that's tied up very much so with the the people making the decisions and buying the books you get to rescue one book that will survive until Earth's sun dies out <laughs> oh no um, you're going to make me choose what one book would you rescue <gasps> I have a massive fondness for my Macmillan Encyclopedia. I'm going to say that again. I have a massive fondness for my Macmillan Encyclopedia. Even though it is already hugely out of date, I spent hours of my childhood sitting there reading it. So if it, was, if it could be that, then that, if it has to be a fiction book, oh, I don't know. Um, I, I, really, I really couldn't choose... I would be that person standing in the room flapping their hands going, oh, I can't choose, I can't choose, and then the world ends. So <laughs> I probably wouldn't save anything in the end. <laughs> um, and some, some very silly quick prior questions to, to end. So Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Ravens or magpies? Ravens. Apples or oranges? Apples. Berries or vampires? Ooh. <laughs> Oh, quick fire, quick fire, quick fire. Uh, oh, I love them both. Uh, I would love to meet vampires, but write Fae. Werewolves or zombies? Uh, zombies. Time travel or wish granting? <gasps> oh, you're so cruel. Um, well, I would probably have to go for wish granting and then I could wish for time travel <laughs> in a horrible cheat. <laughs> 
And finally, truth or beauty? Uh, truth. Emma Newman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. <laughs> I ha- this is Fab Radio International. International. Good afternoon, everybody. Because it is afternoon now, isn't it? Yes, yeah. L- lunchtime-ish. Well done, Del. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've just literally polished off a cream bun there. I know, uh, I know. We've literally just been shoving buns in our face. Whilst l- listening to the charming... I mean, yeah, it was actually really... It was That was really nice. Just eating cake and listening to that wonderful voice. Um... She, Ed introduced by saying that Emma Newman was lovely, but she even, like, she sounds like she's lovely. Oh, I think we'd be friends. Um, so, yeah, we've just um, been eating um, really nice honey buns from the, the bakery. Um, having so, very yeah. strange tea. Very strange oh, tea. If, if we do the British thing of, oh, this is weird, try it! Yeah. Well, no, Ed said this is disgusting. Try it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make me very happy. <laughs> and yet you still tried it. I still tried Well, because you, you never know. Anyway, this is yeah. not the... Cl- no, this isn't talking this, about books. This is not a chrysanthemum tea drink show. This no. is a book show. No, it's not. Um, so I'm going to talk to you today about something coming through by Paul McCauley. Um, and because it's me, there's going to be lots of deviations and bits where I kind of say things that I've noticed about books in general from reading this book that aren't actually involved in reviewing said book. And the first one is, this is published by a publishing company that I've realised, again, I have no idea how to pronounce. I want to say Galansk. Golans. 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 You've you've said different things. (laughs) Those weren't the same words. (laughs) This is why I have trouble. It's fine. Victor Golans. 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 So, so if you're a PR representative <laughs> of, of Golans, we've uh, we've done you proud there. Um, well, it's also because that could be regional. Like, I don't like the ways. Oh, I don't. Sarah, Sarah Pimber says, "Go team Golans." So I'm I'm taking that she knows what she's on Golans. about. None of us can pronounce the word book properly. Never mind. I say book very well. <laughs> Thank mm. you. Oh, do I not? <laughs> In my head, I say it properly. Maybe Dale's the only one. I mean, <laughs> anyway, book reviews. Yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, this <laughs> this is something coming through uh, by Paul McCauley or Macaulay, not sure uh, from Golants. Um But that's nice to already get get that one cleared up. Um, I will review the book properly, but one of the first things that I've thought from this book, and my head went, oh, does anyone anyone in the world know what the blank pages at the back of a novel are for? Because there's lots on this one. In the BFG... There's like ten sides. Well, the BFG suggests that in atlases, that the blank pages at the back of in case you find new countries. Oh. Yeah, but but this isn't an atlas. It, it, Is it in case I find a story and I can yes. write it down and then send it back to Gollant? Yes. I think it's, I think it's because of the way that exactly. end papers work, but yes, yes, your uh, version's better. Yeah. That's what it, oh, that's a lovely thing. Even if, if they send it back... But yeah, let's do that. Let's all write the next chapter in stories on the books that come with blank pages and then send it to them. Maybe you should find Paul Macaulay and rather than getting him to sign it, get him to sign it. <gasps> Will you write me in the, in the next page? <laughs> write me an extra chapter on the back of my book, please. That's unusual because normally they're full of adverts. They are. There's, there's like... Um, I say adverts. I mean, if you like this book, you'll surely like this book. Yeah, but that's the thing. This does the whole... Um, <coughs> 
acknowledgements um and then the first chapter of the next one um bless you um and then there's yeah there's an advert for garments um but yeah then then blank pages and i suddenly just my head went why are those there because it's not a diary and if people are using their novels as diaries then i'm coming around and we're having some some words Um, and what's the book about yeah exactly i'm going to tell you that now uh so uh something coming through it is uh, a mystery story all stories have kind of a thing that they are and this one is a mystery story and this is about us learning about a mystery and then being taken through how that mystery is um i suppose to an extent like resolved or solved or at least how across the world the conclusion for this particular story um i didn't i did a thing uh this is the first book in a series <laughs> i've not been very good at that recently i pick up books and i'm like oh yay and then it's like two or three um so this is the first book in a series um i don't know if it's a series or a trilogy the second one is on its way soon i think um i'm pretty sure that ed has said that it's yeah, it's, it's listed um so we have this mystery but we there is a mystery and we're learning about it from two people in two different settings who are completely unconnected and are 22 days apart so we are learning about this mystery um through the the eyes of um a character called chloe miller um who is in london on the 2nd of july at the very beginning of the book and then we see uh, we start to see vic's input to the mystery um and he because there'll be kind of it's not so much a ch- it's generally like a chapter about chloe a chapter about vic a chapter about chloe a chapter about vic um but vic is the 24th of july his first story um so that's already very interesting but what makes it more interesting is the fact that the things that they're both learning don't seem even vaguely connected either but also they're not on the same planet Ooh, yep um essentially um they in every story we learn about something through a character who's new to the situation because that's the easiest way to present information to an audience without exposition um but to an extent this situation is new to literally everybody but we also find ourselves in our world like i said she's in london it's in the not too distant future but it is a world we don't particularly know um because say i want to say it's about 50 years in the future but i could be wrong um but about 15 years ago there has been um uh, a big bomb goes off in london um and after this big bomb goes off the uh well a bit a bit after some aliens appear and go you're all destroying yourselves aren't you and humanity are a bit scared obviously because aliens and they're like uh what and they're like you're not functioning as um a race like we're here to help um and they are called the jackaroo these aliens and they give humanity 15 planets to do with as they want they are there to help but they are not there to interfere they give us these planets and it is up to us what we do with them but they just want 
um, the human race to to function better. They've done done it with other civilizations before. They have these same 15 planets that they've given to lots of people, uh, well, lots of other kind of cultures, races, kind of other planets, um, for the exact same thing. They don't tell you anything about them because that's not the point. It's not about you learning about these people or these other cultures that have been on this planet. It's just about here you are, go and, and do your own thing. Um, so uh, Chloe is in London on Earth and Vic is on a, in a city called Petra on a planet called uh, Mangala, which is where most of the UK go to because people tend to go to the planets that have the shuttles from where they're from which which makes sense um so yeah we kind of have this world that we know but it's not the world that we know and then a completely different world that is nothing that we understand like mangala has um a year is 31 days um but there's artificial turning of the planet otherwise it would never turn and so for each year you will face the sun and then the next year you'll face away from the sun. So for 30, 31 days you'll be in perpetual sunlight and 31 days you'll be in darkness. And that's how that, that planet rotates. It's so, so interesting. Um, we know absolutely know the characters as well. Like straight away, every character has such a distinct voice. Across the world, 24 hours a day. Goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. Uh, and it's goodbye from me, uh, Del. The Book Room is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by Anne Davis.